Hey, what is up? Welcome to another episode of Going Deep with Aaron Watson. You've come to the right place, and today I've got a great guest to share with you. Damian Lupa is the founder of Total Control Financial. After building and losing a real estate empire, he dedicated himself and his time to helping others achieve financial independence. He has even developed a new financial product that is an alternative to the standard 401k or Roth IRA. As always, but in particular with this episode, nothing that we discuss is explicit financial advice. Make sure you do your research. Talk to experts before you make any sort of move. Damien has a ton of resources available to people who want to research and get smarter. You can find those over at goingdeepwithaaron.com slash podcast in these show notes. Additionally, if you're interested in more financial episodes, head on over to goingdeepwithaaron.com slash top and find some of our other interviews with leading financial minds around the world. We've got a excellent collection there. But you're here in episode 203 to hear from Damien, so I will get right to it. We discuss regret, Wall Street, and the EQRP, among other topics. So here is my conversation with Damien Lupa. You're listening to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. All right. So Damien, welcome to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. I'm excited to be speaking with you today. Aaron, I'm awesomely happy to be here. This is going to be a blast. So you are the founder of Total Control Financial, which has developed a unique financial product that we're going to talk about in a little bit. But where I want to start is, I would say, on a on an idea or on a, a rallying cry that I think is really identifiable for a lot of people. I think that, you know, we're, we're past the presidential presidential election now, but during the run-up, there was a lot of talk about Wall Street and disrupting Wall Street or changing the fundamental economics of our society, of our country to kind of take some priority away from Wall Street. And I'm, I'm curious from an, from an origin story standpoint, from a personal uh, genesis of that mission to disrupt Wall Street, which you've tagged as as one of the drivers of Total Control Financial. Uh, where did you become disenchanted with Wall Street? Where, When did you decide that this was a mission and an endeavor worth pursuing? This came up for me about seven or eight years ago when I started to watch what happened within the idea of retirement. I was, my, my parents retired, did the normal or the normal, the, the very common working for the government and trusting in the system, the Wall Street system and doing what they're supposed to do with playing by the rules and putting away money and, and doing the 401k and, and this whole thing. And I watched in retirement, I watched this struggle and there was this outward appearance of everything is good, but there was this inner turmoil of not knowing how a, the the dreams were going to actually come about, how they how the retirement uh, vision was going to come true, and and so I, I watched, and I, I didn't really pay a lot of attention to it because I didn't really think much of it, but I was I was paying attention, and and then a few years ago, uh, my my dad got really sick, and I ended up sitting down with him a few a few weeks before he passed away, and we were we were talking, and he looked at me and he said you know, there were just so many things that I wanted to do. And when I looked at him, a couple things hit me. One, I, I saw and I felt what regret is. And it 
it changed me. It like rewired my brain and my heart, my soul in a moment. And I went, something is wrong because he had all of these things that he wanted to do and he hesitated. He didn't go do them. And I think that there's a problem with the system that promises these things or that we buy into and it's not delivering. So what is it? There's got to be something that I can do to shift this so that people don't have to show up in their last week saying that and nobody has to hear that from a parent again. And it can be taken out of our society because living with regret or having that moment is about the most painful thing you can ever imagine seeing or experiencing. And so that's really what the the trigger was for me to say, I've got to, I've got to go all in on this and, and find a better way for people to change what they're doing and and to take responsibility and be able to do to to do something different to have a different life yeah i can imagine it's powerful to hear that from a parent and, and thank you for sharing that I, i'm curious so uh, just to to clarify you're saying he had regrets around the things that he wanted to do and because of perhaps the investments he got led into or something like that he didn't have the financial means to or are you saying that he he was explicitly referencing wishing he had made different like career choices or financial choices it was he he made the choices to to do things based on security so going and having a government job and playing by the rules and investing in wall street and and this this whole typical thing that many people fall into because they're told that's what you're supposed to do by the system it's invest for the long term this whole bs in my mind and ultimately what happened is in retirement, there wasn't the resource, the resources to be able to go out and, and do those things that he wanted to do. And so he hesitated. There was never enough wealth. And even the money that had been created, there wasn't a confidence that it wouldn't, he wouldn't run out of money before he ran out of life. So he hesitated doing things because he didn't have the confidence and, and the skills and the background and really the, the next step in how could he create that? He didn't, he, he was never prepped and he never went after it. He just trusted into a system. And, and, and I'm not going to just say the system is, is, is all wrong. There was a disconnect from owning it, from taking responsibility. And most people think that if they just follow those rules, then or maybe that was the old rule set. I know that a lot of times when we talk to younger people, especially millennials, they don't really buy into it. They know this thing is is, is a con, that there's a, a scam going on, and they don't want to be the victims. So they're looking for something different, which is really exciting. It's a whole generation of people that are, are hell-bent on responsibility. And I just, I freaking love it. Yeah, I totally agree. And and what I hear, so it's it's hard to necessarily kind of have an outside perspective because I'm 25, a lot of my peers our fellow millennials. So we just know who we are and not, we can't really always appreciate the context of when a parent or some uh, maybe older thought leader says that there's a different conscientiousness or something like that with our generation. But it's very clear, and we've talked about this in previous conversations, that there is that kind of willingness to choose an alternative way of doing things, whether that's um, you know, a digital nomad lifestyle and, and living in Airbnbs or other other kind of unconventional ways of doing things. And and you said something in that answer that was interesting. I want to make sure we don't lose, which was invest for the long term as being a, a component of perhaps where the con is. And that that might be where someone got lost or got confused because even in in the scope of financial advice out there there's certainly the you know stockbroker that's always got a new idea that was uh, dramatized on wolf of wall street and people kind of have a uh, idea of how that could be less than beneficial for an investor uh, but 
invest for the long term, you know, could also be I'm in some index funds with through Vanguard or um, other forms of, of value investing that's recommended and perpetuated by Ben Graham and Warren Buffett and other types like that. So if we can get into the weeds a little bit more and you can explain what you meant by that and a little more clarity around your personal financial philosophy, I think that'd be really helpful. Yeah, definitely. Well, the, the first thing we have to understand is that when we're getting advice from the system or from people, it, it's there's nothing that says that somebody that's giving us advice is necessarily a bad person. We just have to understand why they're giving us the advice. And it's because they're typically selling something. Financial advisors are selling products. And when when we hear invest for the long term, it's a it's a uh, it's a message from a system that wants to keep our money stuck inside of it, so it can make fees every year, regardless of what happens with the market. the The problem that I see is that there's a lack of integrity, and even with as as successful as he is, a guy like Warren Buffett doesn't talk about the fact that Berkshire Hathaway and his investing makes billions of dollars a year by selling options. That's a very active, non-passive thing. And yet the, the commentary is, I'm investing in Gillette or Coca-Cola or Seize Candies, and I'm going to sit on this thing for the next 40 years. While that's true, there's a missing piece. And that, that is when you're actively engaged and you're taking responsibility, you're doing things like what he's talking about or what he's not talking about, what he's actually doing. He's actually out there making a ton of money by being a pr- participant in the investing. And, and so Wall Street would like us to believe that it's too complex, that that we should just hand our money over and go and live and and in 30 or 40 years it'll all be okay and we'll make 12 percent a year there's a particular commentator on radio a very 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 popular one that talks about making 12 percent a year passively in the stock market and it is it is absolute bs it is it's not true it's not real and and we have to take a, a deeper a deeper look at what we're doing and and we have to be actively engaged or our money is going to go away it's going to go to the go go away to the people that are that are telling us that we should put our money with them i mean that's just kind of the cycle and and i i think people are waking up to that which is really exciting because they're looking for that alternative that you, that you spoke to yeah, absolutely, and I th- I think that's going to resonate with a lot of people, uh, and and maybe they're they're kind of sitting on the other edge of their seats now to hear what that alternative looks like, Damien. I know it's called EQRP, and I read some of the literature on it, but I I'd love it if you could just kind of take us one hundred and one and explain this alternative financial product, and maybe a little bit about how it was developed. Yeah, so the the EQRP is is if you think about it as kind of a, a vehicle, and and there's these vehicles like there's four hundred one ks, there's IRAs, there's different things that we can we can have to drive us from where we are to where we want to go, and that's the financial success or the the results. Most people that are investing in their four hundred one ks or IRAs in the mutual funds are in the passenger passenger seat at best most likely they're in the back seat and oftentimes they're in the trunk so they have no idea what's going on they're just they know that the car's moving they're not sure if it's going off a cliff or it's going backwards or what the EQRP is really a vehicle where you get to be in the driver's seat and so instead of having your money that you're you're using these creative tax maneuvering vehicles like the 401k and you just hope it works out you're literally in this car and it's and it's where your money gets to sit and you get to drive it you get to actually decide where it's going to go how much gas you're going to put into it whether you're going to be safe swerving around and and what it does is it is it allows you to take your retirement money and and go in and invest in things that make sense to you and maybe that's real estate maybe it's precious metals could be startup 
tech companies, there's about a million things you can do. The one thing it requires is that you're involved, that you're literally making the choices because nobody else is going to do it for you and you can't abdicate responsibility. You can't delegate it to somebody else. You get all of the choices and you get all of the ability to actually go out there and make real returns, have the control and not get screwed every year of the rest of your life inside a system that is meant to serve itself more than it is to the population. So you mentioned some of these other vehicles like a Roth IRA or a regular IRA or a 401k and, and, and acknowledge their job is partially to avoid paying taxes. Uh, 401k, you pay taxes on the back end. Roth IRA, you pay taxes on the front end. Uh, there's limits to how much you can contribute. There's designated times when you have to or can even take distributions from a 401k or an IRA. So take us into the weeds a little bit. And if you want to contrast those, uh, contrast the EQRP with these other two, or just explain how the EQRP works. Uh, what are, what are some of the technical details? Yeah, I'd love to. It, and that's the, that's one of the most exciting things because we we're pretty familiar in, in we've heard of the IRA and the 401k and, and then we've rarely heard of the EQRP and here are the big differences. The IRA you're in the, in the 401k, you're typically limited to mutual funds. And the, the nice thing about a, an IRA, there's some things called self-directed IRAs and you can start to do some alternatives. You're not stuck in the mutual funds. The, the problem is you still have a custodian, you still have somebody that's limiting what you can do, and they're still feeing you to death for basically everything that you're going to do. And and so you're also limited to a small amount of money. I mean, you can put $5,500 a year into an IRA, and so over the next 20 years, you're going to have a whopping $100,000. I mean, that's just not going to get you very far. The, the cool thing about the EQRP is that you can put over $50,000 a year into it. You end up with a checkbook that you can go and invest in things. You, you, get, you can actually invest in things like physical gold and silver and hold it, which you can't do with an IRA. You're not going to be able to do with your company's 401k. You can go out and you can buy real estate and you can use mortgages, debt, to actually juice your returns so that you don't have to save up hundreds of thousands of dollars to buy the property that you want to use, maybe as a rental or something. And so the EQRP gives you 10 times more power to buy bigger things, to invest in a bigger way. And you, you've got the, the the other piece that you've got in there is you've got that Roth component you mentioned. People may have heard of the, the Roth IRA where you put money into it and you pay taxes today. And then down the road, when you make your profits and you pull the money out, there is no tax. You can do the exact same thing with the EQRP. So what that means to you is that if tax rates are 60 or 70% or 90% like they were in the in the 50s and 60s before they, they were reduced, it wouldn't matter to you because you're, you've already paid the taxes today. So for the rest of your life, your money is going to be growing and then you get to pull it out tax-free. So there are some massive advantages to the EQRP with a tax deferral or the tax-free nature of it and the power to go invest and do it on your terms and not the terms of, of Wall Street and the people that are trying to get fees out of you. Okay, so so this all kind of just begs the question of why. So the, there's the higher uh, maximum contributions, there's greater flexibility. Why is this possible? Like what what about this type of financial instrument makes it have or allows it to have so much more flexibility that the other ones don't offer. Well, the interesting thing is that this, that the rules around this have been around since the early 70s. And what the IRS has said typically is you can't do A, B, and C, and then they don't tell you what you can do. 
Well, what, what the system, what Wall Street in particular has said is, here's what makes us a lot of money. So they focus on that. So that's what we hear. We hear, hear the things, the Vanguard mutual fund. We hear about the fidelity. We hear, we hear about these things over and over. And that's what we think that we're allowed to invest in. The IRS hasn't said those are the things you can invest in. They've said, here are the things you can't do, and basically you can do anything else. But if you're investing in, let's say, a a rental property or a chunk of gold, and you hold those things, Wall Street can't make any fees off of you. And so they're not going to want you to go out and put your money into those things. They're going to want to keep you stuck inside of paper assets like the mutual funds, the stocks, and the bonds. There's a reason that we're being directed in one direction, one place, over another, it's because if you if you just follow the money, where where's all the money being made? Where are the fees being paid? And it's into things that somebody else can control. So the the whole point of the EQRP is that it puts you in control and takes it takes the control away from Wall Street, which is what we like. We like to see people in control. We also know that they're going to care about their money a heck of a lot more than any advisor ever would. So it makes a lot more sense for people to hold it, assuming that they're responsible. I mean, that's the the one downside to this is the the idea of blame and justification and being a victim and unfortunately there there's a lot of that and this is a terrible tool for for somebody that is a victim because you're in charge of your own future and if you're a victim you're in a lot of trouble so this is the perfect thing for somebody that's self-responsible that that says i can and will do it and i will i, I will make it happen and and it, it's only for that type of person yeah, there's no finger pointing other than uh, than right back at yourself in the mirror. So that's it. That is that is immensely clarifying, and thank you for kind of going through all the the technical details there, Damien. Uh, I'd I'd love if you could maybe take us back to your story. We started off with the story of talking with your father and regret. And I want to maybe connect the dots between that conversation and now as the founder of Total Control Financial, um, you know, working to set people up and give people financial advice. Um, what did that path look like? What was your, you know, either research or where are your roots that led you to this? Well, you, it's it's really cool that you and I have a similar path in that we we left college and ended up in insurance. And so I was selling insurance for a little while for a, a couple of years in my case. And and after I'd done that, and I'd had some different businesses when I was growing up, it was like little entrepreneurial things, buying and selling video games and such. I, I went into the space where I was working really for these giant companies, these insurance companies. What I realized is that there was there was something missing. It was my ability to create, to be free. And the most important thing in my life is freedom. And and so I felt trapped. And that didn't really work. So I thought, what what else could I do? And I, I, I read Rich Dad Poor Dad. I saw things on TV about real estate and I thought, this is cool. I'm gonna I'm gonna go after this. And what it did is it gave me a wide open playing field where I could go and I could basically score as many touchdowns as I wanted to. I could just, it, there was no real clock or rules around how big I could make it. It was only up to my imagination. And and so I went out there and tried everything under the sun and ended up creating over about a five-year period, I created a $20 million portfolio of real estate. And I, the, it, I mean, it was an amazing experience. It's very cool to create that. The only problem is if you do that and it's all about the money, 
you don't really have a foundation. There's no deeper why. There's there's no rules that are governing it. And and I had spent a lot of time with really, really wealthy people that had the big houses and the big cars or the fast cars. And so of course I got the big house and I got the Ferrari and I, I had this lifestyle. And and ultimately the the universe said, All right, this is not what we want from you. There's something more important and it's not just a bunch of hedonistic experiences. And so in two thousand eight I, I took that that trip off a cliff like a lot of folks did with with investing in real estate when the markets crashed. And I, I had a reset event where I had to look in the mirror and figure out really who I was and what my life was based on. What were the values? And that's where the values that I, I drive the company and I, I drive my life from today, that's where they came from. It was that that deep internal look where I really reinvented myself. And and, and so it took a few years to do that with the ultimate question that came out of that, and that was, what is true? And, and that is something that we can use any day, any time when we, when we feel lost or, or we're anxious or we're trying to figure out what's next or how do we change something. You just start asking the question, what is true? And it gives us a sense of reality that we may be skipping past because we're making up stories and telling, us, telling ourselves something that really isn't true. But when you ask yourself what is true, it's hard to lie to yourself with that question right in the mirror. And and that was really what led to me opening the space to be able to create something that was based on, on, on giving and circulation. So it wasn't just about making more money. It was about circulating, providing value for people, solving problems. And the more I did that for more people, the more wealth that was created and the more relationships that were created. And so there's this fulfillment. It's not just the success of, of cutting a deal or making cash. There's the fulfillment of doing something worthwhile and having a life well lived. Wow, I, I love that. And I think that it, there's plenty of, you know, the people listen, who, who listen to this, recent grads, millennials, who might still be searching for their career path or uh, maybe at a fork in the road, not knowing which way to go. And I think that that question of asking yourself and really sitting with it and meditating on what is true uh, can lead you to some some good personal decisions. So I love you sharing that, Damien. And uh, I'm curious with the kind of fortune that was made and lost in 2008, how has that affected your taste for the real estate market? Are, are you still a believer? Do you still encourage people to invest in real estate? Have you soured? Uh, what does that look like? I, I, you know, it's funny because I, I love real estate. Going through something where you have a very, very painful experience where you lose a lot of money and not just my money, but a lot of people that I really cared about who wished me not well after during this thing. They, they wished that I would burn in hell. I mean, that was it was a very painful thing to go through. And it, it took time to build myself back up to the point where I felt worthy of, of even thinking about some of these things, whether it was real estate or even thinking about myself as being worth anything. And, and after a, a few years of going through that process, I started thinking about what I really wanted to create. And, and it was part of that was the, the, the gift to, to people and, the, and to bring confidence to them and freedom and real security, not, not faux security. But then he was also asking the question, do I actually like real estate or was that something I was just doing for money? And I, I love real estate. What I'm also very clear about is that 2017 smells, tastes, looks, feels a lot like 2007. And, and so the question is, what do you do with that? What do you do with the, the idea that we're in a very bubbly, very hyped up market? And, and you really have to take yourself out of the speculator mind and you have to say, 
what's long-term going to really work? And what long-term works is cash flow. It's creating an asset that people want to borrow from you and pay to use month after month and year after year. Those type of things don't really matter that much in terms of what they're going to, what the value is going to be when the markets collapse. They might shift a little bit with the rental, but the reality is those things are very stable. They're just not very sexy. And so what happens is we have all these shows about flipping, but what we don't have shows on on the HD channel is about building up long-term cash flow, $100 a month per unit at a time. We don't talk about that because it doesn't sell ratings. It's There's no commercials that are going to, that are going to support that show. And so I look at I look at the deals that are out there and I ask, is this going to be a good deal cash flow wise three years, five years, 10 years down the road? And in my mind, there's an opportunity of epic proportions because you've got 80 million millennials who are primarily focused on experiences and freedom and creating and connecting. They're not looking for a four and 5,000 square foot mansion like, like previous generations. They want to be with people. They want to be out there creating and, and that matters so much more they're typically going to want to rent so that they have the ability to be free. And and so you've got tens of millions of people that are potential customers that you can serve if you start thinking differently around cash flow. And then all of a sudden, it doesn't matter whether the market crashes or not. It's not as significant as it is when you start flipping stuff and you need your property to go up 10 or 20% for you to break even or even to make some money. That makes a lot of sense. And I, I know that there's actually a lot of people, I have a couple friends who do real estate development, and they actually bounce it back and forth between the two where they they like the safety of you know buying a rental property and just buy and holding and then on the side might flip one or two uh, either to just kind of keep themselves entertained or to try to juice their their returns and their income a little bit so definitely definitely a balancing act for many and and those that are exclusively in the flipping game um, you, you see them get rich probably a little bit faster but there, there's definitely a greater risk there as well you referenced 2008, and this will be my last question before we start wrapping up. And, and there's a, a, a saying or a truism that every five to seven years, folks forget that the market crashes every five to seven years. And so the, it's been eight years now since 2008, um, actually a little, a little over eight years. And there's, you know, definitely you hear people talking about the frothiness of the market and we, we may be approaching a top. Um, and, and what I'm always curious as someone who, you know, I was in high school in 2008, like quite honestly, a lot of my fellow millennials have never really experienced what it's like to see, you know, a 20, 30, 40% drawdown in the market. Um, you know, businesses close, folks start to be worried about their jobs and whatnot. So this may be a new experience for some people or still a relatively unfamiliar one. So when you think about the potential of uh, a crash or a correction happening, is is there any sort of heuristic or way that you think about it as it's happening, when it's happening, or, or a way to take advantage of that uh, that might be helpful for someone who's never really experienced that before. Yeah, the the thing that I would do if I was going back in time, and what I would do if it was my first my first merry-go-round, my first rodeo through this type of thing, and, and as a nation of goldfish, where we we go around this this bowl and we keep seeing the same, we see we see things happening over and over, and we think it's the first time. I I would have people in my life that were either bald or gray-haired 
that had been through things that I was paying attention to and listening to because the opportunities, the epic opportunities are going to be born in these type of downturns. In the Great Depression, there were massive amounts of, of companies that, are, that thrived for decades after that and they started in that period. The problem is if you don't have any experience, it looks scary and it looks bloody because that's what you see in the streets is blood. And when you're with people that are have sage, they have sage advice and they have wisdom from being around for decades. They've been through market tops and bottoms and lefts and rights, and they, they get it that it doesn't last forever. There's something stable, there's something steady, and there's something you can buy into because you're leveraging off of their experience. And the fear that would naturally be a part of not wanting to go into something that was looking so scary, you can put that aside because you believe in somebody else before you have the experience that you can leverage on to believe in yourself going forward. That's great advice. I think that's going to be helpful for a lot of people. Uh, Damien, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us today and uh, teaching us about EQRP and, and your financial philosophy. If people want to connect with you or learn more, where in the digital world can we point them to do so? The best place for, for people to, to reach out is going to DamienLupo.com is, is the, the place where you're going to be able to find my books. You'll, you'll see more information about the, the work I'm doing with, with finance, retirement. And it's, it's kind of a, it's a consolidation of everything. It's, it's where I have my commentary and I, I communicate what I'm thinking and, and the financial tools and really taking everything that I've learned over the last 20 years and going through things and living through hell. I mean, I'm sharing that stuff so people can l leverage from that and learn from it and not have to go through it the, the, the same way. Great. Well, we'll be sure to link to that in the show notes, goingdeeptherein.com slash podcast. It's a place to find that and every episode of the show. Uh, but as we do at the end of each episode, Damien, I want to give you the mic a final time so that you can issue an actionable personal challenge for the audience. There's something that, that I created when I wrote one of the books, my, the book I called Reinvented Life. And there's there was a workbook that I, I wrote. And really, it's the questions. It's these different questions that help you get to the truth, that question about what is true. And it gives you a lot of opportunities to ha almost have a mentor and to take that book, wherever you're at, whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're reinventing, to take that book and actually participate, to take action by going through those steps. That would be a powerful space for you to go into and and figure out the question what is true and then have some have some insight so that you can take action from the, those answers that are really inside you. I don't know what's right for you, but if those questions trigger you, you're going to have the answers inside and and you can you can get a copy of that that on on the website. And I would love people to grab it and and just answer the questions and, and see where that takes you because you'll find that you you have an inner guru inside of you and it's waiting to be tapped into i love it and uh hope that everyone is able to find that guru and enjoy damien's books make sure you check that out and uh keep coming back to going deep with aaron watson we just went deep with damien lupa Hey, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Please hit subscribe if you've not already done so and head on over to either Instagram or Twitter and let me know what you thought of this episode or the show in general. I'm Aaron Watson, 59 on both of those platforms. Would love to connect and hear from you there. Coming up in future episodes, we've got Tim Held, the owner of the Indianapolis Alley Cats and a podcast empire builder, Jessica Rhodes, to share some insights from their world. Do not miss it. Tune in to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Watson. Thanks for listening. Connect with Aaron on Twitter and Instagram at AaronWatson59.